Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is the Doable Discipleship Podcast, a show designed to helping you deep your faith in God, or we like to say the show that helps you grow. Guys, I'm super excited for um, this episode today. We actually have two incredible guests with us. The first is Brandon Bathauer. Jason, our usual co-host, cannot be with us. He is getting prepared for uh, baby number two. So Jason, if you're listening, we love you. We're praying for you. We miss you. But with that, we get to have Brandon Bathauer, who is a spiritual growth pastor here at Saddleback Church. Brandon, say hey. Hey, what's up, everyone? Great to be back on the show. Yeah, and you told me beforehand that this is your two years ago to the day that you were on the podcast? Yes, two years ago to the day. I've jumped on a few times since, but I think that was the first time I was on the show. Nice, yeah. nice. And we also have Alan Fadling. Now, the I'm real really excited the about day. this. The real guest. <laughs> Our real <laughs> guest. We love you, Brandon, but we're, we're, we're glad Alan's here. <laughs> Alan, you kind of do it all. You are an author, uh, you are a speaker, a podcaster, the founder and president of Unhurried Living, a, a nonprofit that helps people slow down that helps them rest a little bit deeper so they can live fuller and lead better. So you've written Inhaling Grace, An Unhurried Life, Unhurried Leader, and What Does Your Soul Love? If you are a faithful listener, you are are familiar with Alan. He was on a while back with his wife, Jim, talking about what does your soul love? Alan, it's so good to have you back on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm very well, Brandon. It's great to be with both of you, Brandon. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've been, we've just kicked off this season of time. Um, so time right now is crazy. We were recording this in our, our COVID-19 new reality, right? And, you know, I, just scrolling through social media, we'll see jokes, of, you know, jokes on time. What day is it? What week is it? What year are we in? It feels like time is just kind of melted together because I think as a culture, we've lost our markers. I was saying on an episode a while back, um, for me, one of those things was my morning commute into work. Uh, and it just got me prepared to get ready for the day. So when I hit my desk, I'm getting into my desk, I'm getting to my groove, I'm, I'm off and running. And now without that, I feel like I'm trying to find what are my new things that's going to click me into gear, so to speak, or what are these things that's going to let me know what time it is. Um, so we just had a season, not a season, an episode on, on Kairos time. We looked oh, yeah. at time as seasons, Chronos uh, time, and just, but more importantly, how that we could leverage those things for our spiritual growth. Um, but today I want to talk about leadership or, or leading ourselves well. How can we utilize time or how do we maximize the time that we do have uh, to lead ourselves well? And Alan, you, I, I got this from you, but you said something in, in Unhurried Leadership your book, and we'll, we'll link to that in the show notes, but you talked about, you know, living at the pace of Jesus and something called lifestyle leadership. What do you mean by that? How do we live at the pace of Jesus? What was that pace? Yeah, I uh, I think, you know, kind of underneath what I do in our organization, Unhurried Living, and, and underneath what I wrote about in an, un, in an unhurried life and in an unhurried leader is the idea that Jesus' pace is a little slower than ours, in the best sense of the word. I mean, there are just some things that are better slow. Like, love is a slower pace than efficiency, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or joy is actually a slower pace than excitement. Mm -hmm. Joy is a little more rooted. 
It's not dependent on how great stuff is. I mean, if it's dependent on how great stuff is, when we're in the midst of this COVID thing, it's awfully hard to be you know, happy. But if joy is something rooted in us. So when I talk about the pace of Jesus, I'm talking about how there's a way in which Jesus moves slower in a holy way, pace of grace, pace of peace, pace of joy, uh, pace of love. All of these are a slower pace. And and it's the pace of the kingdom, I think. Yeah. So a God for whom a thousand years is as a day and a day is as a thousand years. There's your Kairos time. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. it's not measured in minutes and days and months. It's it's opportunities and it's encounters and it's interactions. A different way of understanding time. Yeah, one of the things that's great. One of the things I've heard being thrown around is this idea of hurry sickness. Um, so we see, you know, especially as followers of Christ, we're following a Jesus that's li- that lived at a slow, deliberate, intentional pace, yet it feels like the culture we live in and what we've been brought up in and what we're honestly taught is to go fast, to be efficient, to, to maximize, to capitalize. Um, how does hurry delay what God is doing in us, in the things around us, um, as we are trying to live at this pace of Jesus, can hurry, um, how does hurry get in the way of that? Is it, because hmm. I, I think there's, it has a much deeper, I'd say detrimental effect than we probably would give it credit for. We kind of just mm-hmm. brush it off like, oh, I'm just in a rush today. I'm, I'm, I'm hurrying. Yeah, we um, wear it as a badge of honor, right? We kind of ex- like, exactly. man, I just... I've been a little hurried today. I got a lot of stuff going on. And yeah, we, we think of it as a, just like a little, little nothing. Um, but I think it has, yeah, these massive de- detrimental efforts. would love to hear what it yeah. does. Yeah. So I think, I think it's really an important question actually, because you're right. Basically in our overarching culture and this culture is not just, you know, the culture of the world around us, but it often gets into our lives as followers of Jesus and, within our communities of faith. The assumption is the faster I go, the more I get done and important things get done. And my argument often is actually some of the most important stuff can't be done fast. Hmm. So pork, one of the, for example, what's that? Pulled pork, for example. Oh yeah. Try and do that fast. No way. So I'm in North Carolina right now. We love our barbecue. (laughs) Don't get me started on pulled pork, man. Don't get me started. (laughs) uh, We won't. We won't make you go there. Okay. But um, so one of the questions I ask some of the leaders I coach is I ask them, I know you could probably answer the question of what is your hurry achieving? You could talk about all the stuff you've done and and all. But what I want to ask them is what is your hurry costing you? And I think sometimes in the lives of leaders, or if I use leader more broadly in terms of our life of influence, what we don't realize is that our hurry is costing us the things that matter most. It's, it's costing us, for example, the ability to value people over things. When I'm hurried inside, my life feels like a bunch of things I'm managing instead of a community of people I'm loving. The, that second one is more like what the kingdom of God is like. But when I'm frantically busy, I'm just, I'm not thinking of the people. I'm thinking of the things. So that's one of the costs. You can make it very practical and say another major cost of the kind of hurry we're seeing in the lives of people is on our literal physical health. 
You know, mm. for me, for example, one of the forms that hurry takes, and this will be one that a lot of people I think can identify with, is it anxiety. Anxiety is a hurried soul. I'm frantically being driven by this inner worry. It's not good for my health. I have a doctor friend who um, wrestles with this and ended up having a heart attack and is now, you know, sort of leading a cardiac support group. And I went and spoke to them and realized that literally hurry had been a major contributor to their physical uh, challenges. So I think you have to ask yourself, um, it's easy to assume hurry is helping. I'm getting more done. I'm more important. I look more important at least. But I think the key question is what's hurry costing you? And it costs us a lot. Yeah. Alan, what, do you, what, what do you think are the, the, the lies in our culture that tell us that we have to hurry? What are some of these, these value sets that cause us um, to enter into that hurry? Yeah, that's, that's, a really, that's getting under the hood, right? That's opening the hood uh, underneath this question. And, and I think there are a number of them. They're, they're very easy to understand. They're very hard to deal with in our own lives. So one is we live in a culture that says you are what you have. The more you have, the more important you are. Yep. Now, Jesus, on the other hand, says, you know, your life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. So Jesus would disagree with this assumption that is rooted in the very fabric of our culture. So I've had to wrestle with, is Jesus right about my life not being defined by all the stuff I have? Well, it's a dumb question to ask, but I have to ask it that way because it gets at the, the assumptions in the back of my head about my life is more important the more stuff I have. And not just stuff that fills your wallet or your closet or your garage, but the stuff that fills you know, your resume and the stuff that fills other people's minds when they think about you. I, I, I live and many live with the assumption that I am what I have, or I am what I do, or I am what people say about me. The problem with letting those be the definer of my sense of value, my sense of purpose, is it's a treadmill. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. a treadmill. You know, if you ask somebody who defines their lives by how much money they have, and then you ask them how much will be enough for you to feel like, yes, I'm there, I'm settled, I'm important, I'm valuable, the answer will almost always be some form of a little more than I have right now. Yeah. You can say that about possessions, man. You can say that about achievements. You can say that about impressing people. The problem with, with our identity being established out there is it's never enough. And that is an engine for hurry. Yeah, I, one of the things uh, that you just said, I like that, that picture of the treadmill. You're expending a lot of energy, you're running on it, but you're not going anywhere. And it, it reminds me of busyness versus fruitfulness. Yeah. Um, and there's a big difference between being busy and being fruitful. But how can we know, because both of them are going to require energy of us, right? Both of, of course, whether we're being busy or whether we're being fruitful, there's still a, a level and sense of output. So how do we know um, if we are being fruitful as opposed to being busy? That's, that's really a critical question. And it's a question of discernment. So for me, um, what's slowing down a little bit on the inside in terms of living more out of a place of peace instead of anxiety? or learning to live from a place of security instead of insecurity, which sometimes has driven me, even in my work of ministry. When I slow down, 
guess what happens? I, I find I'm a little more wise. I have a little more perspective. I have, I actually have more energy. My hurry costs me energy. Like what it mm. takes to keep the rev going is just keeping the rev going. It's not actually producing something. It's just keeping my idle at a high level. So it's an immense amount of energy lost to that, which could be used in loving yeah. people and doing good kingdom work. So, so to me, it's, it's built into the slowing down that I notice um, opportunities that I would run past with my busy plan in my head. See, one of the things I think that is important to realize is, you know, I start my day with a plan like most people do. But what I've mm -hmm. almost always realized is that divine appointments are almost never in your plans. They are almost always something you notice in the middle of your plans. I still plan. Uh, one of my mentors always said, plan well and then hold your plans loosely. I think, you know, having our eyes open for the people who cross our path, having our eye, eyes open for the creative opportunities that we may encounter and being willing to sort of flex to engage those, those are actually the moments that are the most fruitful quite often. That, that is gold, Alan. And you know, that's that what is. I was, I was wondering in my mind, okay, so I've got a bunch of stuff I got to do today. Right. And I've got it all written mm -hmm. out here on a list. And even that list alone can start causing me some level of worry or anxiety or hurry. Um, what would you, what would you do? Let's, you know, bringing it down to, to that level of your daily tasks that you need to accomplish. What would you suggest to help get rid of some of that, that hurry in your life to live at the pace of Jesus there? So one of the things that, that helps me a lot is, um, when I think of my own variety of hurry, the common one, I mentioned anxiety. Another one I've wrestled with all my adult life is wanting everyone else to like the thing I did. You know, I want everyone to like the thing I did. Then I feel a little more confident, a little more secure. Well, the more I find those places of need met in God, like turns out I actually follow a prince of peace. Hmm. And that might actually change the posture in which I do the long list of things I'm doing today. And how I do the things I do can make all the difference in the world. Um, I think one of the things we always say, and I think this is critical because people hear me say unhurried, and I think they're imagining I'm telling them to cut their calendar in half and chop their to-do list in half. I'm really not talking about calendars and to-do lists. You might decide you're doing too much. That's, that's another question. I'm talking about your soul. Busy is calendar. Hurry is soul. What I'm trying to say is you could be mm. busy from an unhurried heart. Wouldn't you do better work from a place of peace than you would from anxiety? Wouldn't you do better work from a place of joy than a place of sort of frantic hurry. That's my experience. And so I'm not trying to tell people to radically change how much you do. I'm asking, I'm asking, follow how Jesus does what he does. You might find that that would change who you are when you do what you do. Yeah, that's, that's really good. And as I think about that with leadership, right? I, I like thinking of it in those terms, because we can typically think of leadership as 
how many people are you managing? Uh, are you on the executive suite or of whatever you're in? But this is across the board lifestyle. This is just whatever, whoever is in your sphere of influence. So this is uh, students in college. This is parents with young ones. This is parents with kids out of the nest, so to speak. Um, one of the things that I'm thinking about, right, is this is all really good. Could be, I don't want to say new information, but it's just different from the conventional leadership mm. wisdom that we're brought up with. Um, and we know that it's hard to kind of snap out of those ruts at times when we've been um, trained and shown that this is what leadership looks like. So how do we, is there anything that, can we hold these two things in tension? This slowed down, purposeful pace, and then some of the things that we've learned that we've picked up um, along the way just with conventional leadership wisdom, how do we hold those things in tension? Yeah, so I think the way I come at sort of organizational leadership or conventional understanding of leadership is I'm grateful for the wisdom of people who've learned how to lead in, in those kinds of ways. And I think what I'm trying to say is I'm always asking the question, which value system is the soil in which my leadership is growing? So there is a value system in the world around us that makes certain assumptions about what matters. And sometimes it's purely based on only quantitative measures. Quantitative measures matter, you know. And Jesus often is talking about things like in John 15. He's talking to his inner circle. He tells them, abide in me, even as I abide in you. And then a little later in that chapter, he says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go, to bear fruit. And then he qualifies the fruit fruit that will last. I don't think you can measure fruit that will last in week or month or quarterly terms. I think fruit that will last is measured in longer windows of time. When I think of things I was busy, this is one of the ways I go at it. I think, you know, having been in ministry 35 years, I think back to 30, 35 years ago, if somebody was talking about my ministry, I don't think they'd talk about the things that were on our counter that we all did together. Those were containers within which we got to be in relationship, but they're going to remember the relationship. That's the element mm -hmm. of the fruit that lasts. So to me, again, it's, it's, not that the, it's not that the calendar changes all that much. It's not that my to-do list changes all that much, but it's, I remember what it is about these things I do and these ways I'm with people. I remember what it is about that that matters. And so one of the convictions I have is that fruit that lasts always involves people. So even when I'm managing things, That's I want to remember, how does this thing I'm managing serve people? That's what energizes me, actually. When I'm overwhelmed by this list of 17 things I have to do today, it makes a huge difference if I stop and think, who are some of the actual faces that are going to be helped by me doing and managing this structure or this process or this element of our programmatic life together. Otherwise it can be draining that, instead that of energizing. So and, and, and that's one of the ways that's one of the ways I think about fruit that lasts. That's good. I'm, I'm seriously, I'm looking at my to-do list right yeah. now and I'm thinking about the faces 
behind each of the the steps. And I think what I'm what I'm hearing in this that uh, is so helpful um, is that it's it's almost like the motivations behind the things that we are doing. And if those motivations, uh, if the convictions behind them are healthy, it's going to result in in really good fruit. And when the motivations and the convictions behind it are are unhealthy, they are hurried. the The root system is is off. Um, but that's where you can be. I think I've heard you say something along the lines of you can do the same thing, but where you're coming from as you do that is going to impact your own health. I, I love to hear you kind of uh, go a little bit further further in that. Yeah, I. One of the things I think that is absolutely genius about Jesus is he comes into a world where the religious system of his day is very focused on know the right stuff and look right. That's the main thing that, that's his main conflict with the Jewish leaders of his day. Jesus comes along and says, I want to talk about your heart. That is the absolute genius of Jesus. He knows that if he can address the heart, if he can make the the heart good, his metaphor is make the tree good, he knows it'll bear good fruit. So Jesus is always coming to us to deal with issues of the heart. Here's the problem. Issues of the heart don't change fast. You can't just go in and like do a quick reprogram of your heart. Changes of heart take time. We all know this. We all know this. We know how stuck we get in certain attitudes or certain assumptions or certain expectations. But Jesus does the slow, persistent, patient work of helping our heart change. And when that changes, then who I am when I do what I do makes all the difference. That's why, you know, some of the spiritual practices that we always recommend to one another uh, are so important, not because they are like, the Jewish leaders, a way to earn favor with God, it's because they become spaces within which my heart can come into the presence of God and little by little be changed. And that really does change then what I do day to day. That is so good. And I'm, I'm thinking, I'm just kind of chewing on what you guys have been talking about. And Brandon, you said, you talked about root system. Alan, you just mentioned the soil that our leadership is growing out of. And I think thinking through this, it's almost like a different paradigm, looking through a completely different lens on how we see ourselves, how we see time, how we see leadership. And you said something, Alan, in um, your book, Unhurried Leader. And I think you made an, an extremely important distinction. You said, too many people with leadership roles see their roles as something they manage on their own for God, rather than being a means by which with God, they might be a blessing to the people around them. The for, for God and with God. And I think if we are going to be able to live our lives at a slower pace, or as you said, we living, living at the pace of Jesus, if we're going to slow down and have this kind of deliberate, intentional everyday faithfulness, this is something that we're going to have to grab hold of with God opposed to doing for God. How did you come to that distinction? How did you come to that realization? So it it makes me think, you know, of my early years in ministry. There were a few years back, 
Um, and I always had this feeling like I was doing the work of ministry for God as though God were like at the home office, you know, four states away. And I was frantically trying to do all this stuff, hoping he liked it, hoping, hoping he was pleased with it. So I didn't have very much of a sense of God with me as I did the work of God. And then I have to be honest, there were other times where staying busy doing ministry was a way to avoid God. It was a way to avoid yeah. things I knew God was trying to address in my life. Because again, his, his, his intention is to deal with me and then to work through me. So one of the things that became important to me is to realize my life being transformed by Jesus is the greatest leadership resource I have in the kingdom of God. It's my life being transformed, being increasingly indwelt by Jesus. My life becoming just a bit by bit more like his life. That is an immense resource in my spiritual influence. Coming to that conviction then said, then therefore the spiritual leadership of my own life rises very high in my priorities. And that I won't let myself be frantically busy doing things for God at the expense of living my life with God. And little by little then, living with God and working with God weren't two separate things. Well, they, they never were, but in my thinking they were. And little mm -hmm. by little I began to realize, oh, ministry is just one more way for me to live in communion with God. And communion with God is just the engine of how I live my life for God in the midst of my relationships and my tasks. So I, I really think that spiritual maturity, the, the trajectory of maturing in our faith is in the direction of simplicity. Like little by little, all of the frantic complexities that we, we, we either fill our lives with or others fill our lives with, little by little, we begin to realize this life in the kingdom, in some ways, is so very simple. It's not easy, but it's so very simple. One thing, David says in the Psalms, that one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I'm going to seek. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I want to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, and I want to seek him in his temple. One thing. So slowing down has helped me realize one thing is a great way to describe the trajectory of this life of faith I've been invited into. That's good. Uh, as I was reading your book and you talked about you were taking, I think, a train ride down the PCH, down the coast right here in California, one of the most beautiful places in the world mm. and riding your bike. And you talked about slowing down, but more in the terms of a spiritual practice. And you, I think you were alluding to it, it as like, you need to live into it more. And that was showing you that you needed to do that more. How has that helped you? And do you have any, you know, practical tips that we can use, that our listeners can use to, to slow down as a spiritual discipline? Yeah. So, you know, that, that experience, maybe you've had the, another drive that I do a lot because I grew up in Northern California. And if you take the five freeway, it's so straight, you could like tie a rope to the steering wheel and take a nap, it feels like. And <laughs> you'd be just fine because you're just going to go straight for hundreds of miles. I joke, but if you're on that road, if you look immediately to one side or the other, you see the blurring stuff go by, the blurring fences and fields and stores and whatever. And cows, if you look just lots a of cows. Little, and, and lots and lots <laughs> of cows. 
if you look just a little further ahead, there's less blur. You can start to see the, the exits that are coming up. But then if you look all the way out on the horizon, you'll see the mountains on either side. You may see the clouds on the horizon. To me, slowing down in our soul is like keeping a horizon view all the time and not just staring at the stuff mm -hmm. that's flying by right next to me. That's been, that's how that metaphor helps me. So literally sometimes, and this would drive some of you know, the listeners here, I think crazy, but it's the kind of crazy you need to be driven if you're gonna learn how to slow down, just to be honest. Most of the times the disciplines that help you slow down are gonna feel uncomfortable at first. That's, that's just a fact. I will literally slow down my walking speed. I have always been a wow. fast walker. Like if I can get to the next thing and save 45 seconds, man, I've won the day. Except what I've started to ask myself is, what am I going to actually do with the 45 seconds I won? And is the me that gets there 45 seconds earlier a better me than the me that would have got there 45 seconds later? So again, it's a qualitative thing, not just a quantitative thing. So actually learning to be, here's another way to say it, learn how to be present where you are. Hurry has a way of taking you out of the place that you are and imagining that your life is 10 minutes from now or an hour from now or a week from now. The only place you have to live your life is right now. Now you can plan and you can strategize. Of course, we all do. But the only life you can live is the life right here. I'm here. God's here. And if there happen to be people nearby, they are here. Those are the relationships that matter in that moment. That is the place where fruit will be born. When I'm in a hurry, I am low percentage points present to the moment in front of me. But that's the moment of grace. That's the moment of growth. And that's the moment of fruitfulness. So, so I'm, I'm suggesting literally try slowing down. And secondly, I'm suggesting see if you can't learn how to pay attention to the moment in which you're living and really notice what's happening right there. The last thing I'll say is I'm impressed in the gospel of John at how many different ways Jesus says something like this. You know, the words I speak, I only speak what I hear the father saying, you know, the works that I'm doing, they're really not mine. I only do what I see the father doing. Even my judgments are not my own that somehow Jesus had cultivated the kind of communion with his father where he was intimately aware of what the father was saying and doing in a moment in which he found himself. When I slow down, I'm better at that. When I hurry up, I'm not so good mm. at that. So I'm learning that I could actually learn how to notice the kinds of things God may be up to in a moment if I slow down, pay attention and notice. That's great. I want to call to mind just for everyone listening that one of his tips, one of his spiritual disciplines is physically slowing down. And I think sometimes that we can fall into a trap of thinking about our discipleship or thinking about spiritual disciplines. And this is something we talk about on our, our podcast a lot is that our, our whole life is a part of our discipleship. You know, we're, we're not, um, compartmentalizing our lives of when I'm here with this, these people at this time in these places, then I'm spiritual. When I'm over here, then I'm not so spirit. All of our life, this is all, our spiritual life is all of our life and it's all a part of our discipleship. So I love, love, love that a spiritual discipline could be something as simple as 
physically slowing your walking pace down. I, I heard another guy say um, to help him with slowing down, he'll drive in the slow lane. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's, wow, that's really good. If you, if you think about it like that, you're on the highway, you're doing, getting to wherever you're going, getting in that right lane and just going and cruising at a slow pace. And I think that that is vital and key for our development and our spiritual growth to um, see all of our lives, our physical lives as well as, hey, we can use this to slow down. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, in this deep meditative state in scripture that this enlightenment comes to us like a, like a lightning rod, boom, that happens. It's slow your body down, breathe, rest. And as we do that, as I hear you saying that, like we are in essence, like coming alive to ourselves, we're coming alive to God. And you had a quote in your book and I wrote it down because I think it's so, so beautiful. And I think it kind of just puts a bow on everything that we've talked about. You said, unhurried leadership operates from a peaceful confidence that God has made me, that God is remaking me, and that God has invited me to live a life of influence from, the very, from that very place and as that very person. Um, and I think that is so, so good from that very place, that very person, you, us, as we are, this is who God is using um, and to lead ourselves well, but also the people who, that we find ourselves, you know, rubbing shoulders with. Um, we are all leading in some capacity. We don't have to be the CEO. We don't have to be the boss. We don't have to be the founder. Um, when we show up and we, use the influence that we've been giving that's leadership and i just love that that god has invited mm. us to live a life of influence from that place and as those people um beautiful beautiful words thank you for writing that thank you for your time brandon you have anything um that you're noodling on that you like i, I gotta get this out sometimes i feel like that at the end of podcasts well uh, that last quote just makes me think of the word contentment and it feels like um mm unhurried living comes from a place of, of contentment that a lot of um, the chasing and the, the hurry and the worry of my life comes from places that I'm discontent, maybe with who I am or with I'm discontent with what God has given me. Um, and, and anyway, that, that's just one of the things that I've been thinking. The other thing that I've just been noticing, Alan, is how many questions you ask, um, as, as we're asking questions of you. And I was just thinking, this is what I love when we look at Jesus, not, not only as the one who saves us, but as the one who is an example to us. And in that way, he saves us too from all the mm -hmm. other things that chain us. And the idea that Jesus asks so many questions and that questions take a lot longer than uh -huh. answers. And uh, anyway, I'm just noticing that in you. And that's one of the things I'm going to practice a little bit more is uh, questions take more time, but they bring out uh, so much, so much more life. They bring out so much more abundance, uh, but they just take yeah, a little that's longer. That's really true. So. <laughs> they, they take longer. You know, my orientation to questions as a young pastor was they are to be answered, period. And the longer right. I go, the more I realize, no, actually, Jesus likes to ask questions because questions keep us close. 
If he gives us mm. an answer, we take it and run off with it and do something with it. If he gives us a question, we have to stay close because we have to keep listening. And I just think he has a bias for relationship and questions are a great way of keeping us close in. Yeah, that's great. A bias for a relationship. Tweet it. That's good. <laughs> uh, Jesus has a bias for relationship. That is awesome. Alan, thank you so much for your time. Oh, you're welcome. It's great to be with both of you, Brandon. Yeah. Glad to have you back on the podcast. Um, you are a great guest for us to have on. I know that our audience really enjoys the wisdom that you bring, um, but not just the wisdom that you bring, how you speak, the gentleness, uh, the wisdom, all of that combined. Again, I just want to say thank you. Really, really is a blessing, blessing to our podcast and to our audience. Thanks. You're welcome. All right. Thank you. Absolutely. You guys, I hope you're enjoying this season thus far. We will continue um, to have some more amazing guests on as we continue episode by episode. So stay locked in with us. I pray that this is blessing you. I know that it's blessing me. Got anything else? If not, we will see you soon. If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Just subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you are already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all of our previous episodes and go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events lastly you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com send us your thoughts send us your questions your bible questions your life questions whatever who knows your question might just inspire an upcoming episode thanks again for tuning in to doable discipleship i'm jason whelan and i hope you'll join us again next week